In this episode of the FinTech Files, I have the pleasure of speaking with Keith Groves. Keith is ex-Google, ex-Bain, but still Californian and now head of UK for Plaid, a leading open banking data network. We're going to investigate how open banking can revolutionize payments. Keith, welcome to the FinTech Files. Thank you for having me, George. Great to be here. And we particularly appreciate your time since there's so much press and so much news about Plaid that uh, I can only guess how busy you must be. Plaid has become synonymous with open banking. Can you remind us briefly what we're talking about and how it works? Sure, absolutely. So Plaid is an open banking platform. And basically what that means is we've connected to thousands of banks across the US, uh, Canada, UK, Europe, and we offer a standardized single API that you can connect to that allows you to access transaction data, authentication, authenticate users, identity data, as well as to push open banking payments uh, via API in the UK and Europe. And so this is used by fintech developers to build things like the onboarding funnel for their applications or to enable personal financial management use cases or accounting use cases or to fund your account or do payouts. So you think of us as a, a tool that developers use to build open banking into their applications. And um, you mentioned fintech developers, but it doesn't mean only fintech firms. And more and more we see non-traditional fintechs. The whole embedded finance movement of seeing financial services show up in traditional technology firms or with uh, incumbent banks is something that we definitely support and see a lot of as well. If we talk a bit more about the importance of open banking for moving money, for payments, how do we go from something that's, first of all, opening transactional data into something that can really affect the rails? If you think about it, not a lot of innovation has happened in payments since the onset of debit and credit networks, and that's become a, a primary payment method. But if you think about one thing that defines all of us today, a lot of us use mobile applications as our primary form of doing banking today. All of us have our own current account, and if you're in the UK and Europe, you can go into your current account and push a fund from yourself to another account. So all open banking is doing is creating an API that externalizes that functionality that you can now use that as a full payment rail. And in a world where you're more, and COVID has made this only accelerate, you're more and more doing payments only from your mobile device. I think it makes obvious sense that in the long run, using your bank account as a payment rail is going to become a really big shift in the ecosystem longer term. Uh, and I think especially as you start to see that become a two-sided network, it'll be very interesting to watch the development of open banking payments. And so I think we're still in the early stages of this as a movement because open banking started on the data side, enabling use cases like tying together all your current accounts across different banks to track your budgets and things like that. But over time, you're going to see open banking shift to really providing innovation in the payments rail. And this is something that Platt is a leader in the space in and, and really excited to build out here in the UK. We talk about innovation in the payment rails, but f you could say that from a user perspective, I've been paying with my card and my bank account for a long time, and um, it's working fairly well for me. What are the things that the changing rails could improve? Yeah, a few things. I'll start with the first. So security is one. I think we've all seen stories of credit card details or debit card details getting hacked and lost and stolen. The amazing thing about open banking is it's all OAuth, app-to-app -app API connections. So you're never actually typing in any information. So the example here, say you're, you want to pay with open banking payments using a Monzo or a Revolut account. 
all that happens is you're transitioned into the Revolut app, biometrically face ID approve it, and flip right back into the flow wherever you were and the payment submitted. So you're never typing anything, you're never giving away any secret information, and it's all because the user is present and authenticating it. No chargebacks for merchants. So I think the security and instant access of it actually has a lot of benefits, especially when you consider the fact that for traditional card payments, SCA or strong customer authentication is coming into effect really soon, which means for most payments that you make, you're gonna have to do some sort of step up two-factor authentication with your traditional card payments. And so I think when you start to see that roll out across Europe, and it's been delayed a few times, you're actually going to see open banking payments provide a much better user experience longer term, where you're not having to type in anything, you're just using your biometrics to authenticate yourself. It really is a, a smooth and great experience. The other thing is that with faster payments in the UK and SEPA Instant in Europe, you're talking about instant settlement payments. So you're not waiting for two or three days for this to batch and reconcile and then be recognized in the business's bank account. These payments happen in less than 10 seconds, less than five seconds typically. And so I think the speed and access is really critical. And finally, the last thing is just cost. Because this has been enabled by PSD2, you can offer it at a lower price than most other payment methods. And so ultimately that offers benefits to app developers, fintech developers, merchants, anyone who's using this as a braille, because that's just money that's going directly into their bottom line or being passed on as savings to consumers in the long run. Yeah, that's something staggering to consider because as a consumer, maybe I don't feel it, but somehow I, I pay for it. Those percentages in the volume of transaction that occurs every day, it's a, it's a potential huge transfer of, of wealth from some players to other players or to the end consumer, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think it offers benefits to both. And I think you're starting to see lots of interesting experiments of how much of the savings you pass on to the end user. Do you price things differently for different payment methods? Or is the benefit more for the merchant? And I think it's going to take some time for the ecosystem to work out what the best model is. But regardless, it offers benefits for the ecosystem over existing payment methods. Yeah, my, my reference in that is always Vanguard, which I've quoted quite a few times already, but I'll quote it one more time. Because they've lowered the fees, and just by a few beeps in terms of access to investing, there was a Bloomberg article that they saved a trillion dollars to, to the people who invest. So those can be pension funds, but also individuals. And it's orders of magnitudes like that that really make me excited about saying, oh, we can cut a tiny beep of the payment here and there. And I guess it's not something we feel directly, but it's a great benefit in the long term. And how far are we now in this journey? Yeah, I think we're still relatively early. So if you think about PSD2, the, the second payment services directive, which is what created the modern open banking movement in the UK and Europe, it really only came into force in September of 2019. And since then, it had been predominantly focused on the open banking data side. And really, 2020 was the year where open banking payments really took off in the UK. And the reason for that is it does require an amazing amount of coordination across the ecosystem. You have to have incumbent banks, standard setting, third party providers like Plaid, end users providing feedback, regulators getting involved, and all of that in an iterative cycle to improve the quality and get it up to the point where it's a full payment rail. And now you're at the place where open banking payments is taking off in the UK. And open banking generally is taking off. They just crossed 3 million users broadly in the UK, and that's less than six months after crossing 2 million. So it's growing at a really rapid rate here in the UK. And it's also sweeping throughout the rest of Europe. I think it's no secret that 
the quality of open banking apis and implementation can vary market to market. and so there are parts of europe where i'd say open banking payments are further behind but in general, i think there's an awareness that this is a payment method is here to stay. the european union and the u k. regulators are going to do a lot of work to make sure that it's useful as a full payment rail. and so for us, it's a massive focus for us and we're seeing great traction on open banking payments in the u k. and europe more broadly. and i'm excited to see it take off in the years to come because i do think we're really at the beginning of an early transition. and if you think about some of the things that COVID really affected in terms of how people run their life, right? Everyone's using online payment methods, online banking, fintech applications, or financial services embedded in other applications in a way they maybe were never doing that before. I think one of my favorite stats from March of last year was the fastest growing segment for PayPal at that time, that was during the first lockdown, was people over 50 years old. So you had entire generations that hadn't used fintech moving into fintech if you think about the implications of adding in open banking payments into this world, I think you're right at the beginning of that journey. In the next 10 years, it's going to become something that's normal for everyone in their lives in the UK and Europe. And I think it will broadly sweep the world. Everyone has a bank account. There's no reason why you shouldn't be using that bank account as a payment rail longer term. There's a matter of getting regulation in the market behind it to make it happen. So I think the UK and, and some of the European markets are doing a great job leading the way, but I do expect this to be a global movement as well. Great. So I think we now understand very well how it works and the size uh, of the opportunity. Could you tell us a few examples of what's being implemented today with some of your clients? Because of course, we know that Plaid is working with Monzo, TransferWise, big banks. Could you share some of this? Yeah, absolutely. So here's a few examples. We just announced a big partnership with Adam Bank, which is an SMB focused neobank in the UK. So they're going to be using open banking in a variety of ways. First of all, to evaluate lending. So using transaction data to help evaluate the health of a small business to provide loans, which is much fresher data than a credit score. But then they'll also be using open banking payments to help enable payments against loans, transfers between accounts, and all of this via one integration with an open banking provider, that being Plat. So I think this is an example where you're starting to see people use the data side of open banking and the payment side of open banking to enable a variety of use cases across their platform. Other examples here are uh, crypto trading exchanges, right, where you're loading fiat into a wallet and then using it to trade crypto. The easiest way to load fiat in these cases is open banking payments, where you're doing direct transfers, particularly if you're doing amounts over 50 pounds or 50 euros. It's far cheaper to use open banking transfers than debit or credit cards for those type of transfers. And so we're seeing a lot of customers with interest in that type of use case as well. So I do think account payments, uh, account funding is a great example. Invoice payments and loan payments is a great example. And then e-commerce and online payments more broadly is also a great use case for open banking payments. And one of the things I wanted to ask as well is, so we've got this wonderful solution, but um, can you tell us a little bit what goes on behind the scene and what has played Plaid had to build in order to provide this one API and interface? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's a very classic example of a business built on abstracting away complexity. So while open banking and PSC2 has mandated that banks open up and expose APIs. All of them are different. The processes for integrating with them are different. The issues that might come up vary bank to bank. So what Platt has done is built a really large and really amazing engineering team 
where we've built connections to all of the banks. we manage all of those. we work with banks to escalate any issues and help them figure out the best ways to manage their apis. and then we abstract all of that away into a single connection for our end users the other thing that we do is we add additional features that are missing from sometimes the regulatorily mandated ones. so an example here is if you go to do an open banking payment on desktop where we know a bank would might put you through a painful authentication path, like we'll call you and give you a six digit code to authenticate yourself. what we'll do is we'll create a qr code that will then you can scan it on your phone and move directly into a mobile app where all you have to do is biometrically face id and again no clicks, no typing anything, no painful authentication. we build those type of use cases to make sure that we're focused on providing the smoothest flow for end users and thus the highest conversion. And so this is a great example of it doesn't make sense for every company or every fintech company to try and build this type of things themselves. You would need massive engineering teams at every company. But a player like Plaid can do that and then offer the service very cheaply across a wide user base. I think it's easy, it's a similar aspect to think of Twilio. Now every company can send you SMS text messages. They're not building the telephony themselves. Twilio is doing that and exposing it through an API. It's the same thing for open banking payments and open banking data. Another example there that might make it clear as well is cleaning transaction data. So if you've ever looked at your bank statement, you have all these random digits. It's hard to tell what the store is. We've run all that through machine learning models. So all you get back is Uber or Nike and doing that across every bank is what makes it really easy for a budgeting application or an accounting application to actually use open banking data. So that's an example where an open banking provider can add a lot of value, where they can cleanse away all, to your point, the mess and make it something usable. That's right, because then you have the data, but unstructured data is something really hard to work with. So one, one of the layers, and that's something that you're already embedding. So you don't not just provide access, you provide access to a cleaner set of data. I don't know if that's the right word. And then what are, so then it's endless what people can build, what let's say fintech solution people can build with that. But if we get it, let's say from the point where you have access to the data and it's more structured data, um, what are the next steps for someone who wants to build something? And what are the challenges between access and starting to implement things? Yeah, it's interesting. It very much depends on what the fintech developer is trying to do. And I think one of the things that we pride ourselves on, and I think a lot of open banking uh, providers are like this, is we're a neutral platform. Like We provide the tools. You're the builder, so you tell us what you want to build. But basically what happens if you wanted to get started with an open banking service is you go through their onboarding process. So you go through all the compliance checks, you verify that you're a legitimate business, and then we'd help you get set up. Typically that's hours or days, sometimes a week, if you're doing something really complicated to connect to our API. And then we'll provide best in class examples of how should you build a user experience around that? How do you educate a user on the process they're going through, whether it's onboarding funnel where you're helping them fund a new account or you're helping them do a budgeting application. And so we'll show UX examples of here's how we've seen this done in the past for the type of business you're building. Here's how we'd recommend it. So it really is uh, a lot of benefit to customers in the sense that you're almost providing a consultative approach to here's how 
best-in-class applications have built the use case that you're trying to build. And we can really help them along with that. But every day we talk to startups or fintech app developers or other tech developers who have a brand new idea that we've never heard of before. And that's the real fun in this space is it really does enable innovation when you have these type of easy use cases or sorry, easy tools available where people can build something that didn't exist five or 10 years ago. That's a really interesting um, approach. So it's not just so you're providing access and data and structured data, but there's an additional layer, which is maybe consultative or maybe educational. And you provide this for what? Your own content or specific uh, both advice? Both our content, but actually it's our people. It's our, you have an account manager who's seen a lot before, they can go in and talk to internal experts. This is all included as being a customer versus something we, we charge for. So it, it really is the experience of Plaid as a platform and Plaid's team that is really useful for our end customers as well, because we've seen a lot of people go through this process before and we can really help. In the past year, our customer base has grown more than 60%, but we support more than 4,000 FinTech apps globally, including a lot of the biggest names you heard of. So if you're building something and you have a question, chances are it's not the first time you've gotten that question. Mm. Yeah, and it's also really interesting in the approach, just like it makes sense for you to connect with a lot of banks, because once you do it with a few, you're, you can collect with more and it wouldn't make sense for someone to start from scratch. And you uh, work with the data, I can imagine how there's added value of also being able to push as much as possible towards the application by talking about oh, UX, for example, and things like that. So you're aggregating not just data, but also kind of knowledge from previous experience, if I understand it, it right. Exactly, and, and not to get us too deep into the technical details, but another thing that we enable is we've built a UX that is optimized for conversion, and then we build it into SDKs for whatever type of platform you're using. So if you want to use this on iOS or Android or mobile web or desktop, we have off the shelf modules that you can plug in where there's a UX around connecting a bank account that millions of consumers have gone through and is optimized for conversion. And so again, it's helping FinTech app developers and other app developers not have to recreate the wheel. You get to benefit from the experience of the entire platform by using that type of UX. Yeah, I understand. And it's very much like I understand from, well, let's say e-commerce or things like that. Now it seems, of course, you can start and build from scratch, but your expertise probably in building your product and not uh, building an e-commerce shop, Shopify, etc. Entrepreneurship will always be hard, but if you can liberate your mind for some of the issues, it certainly helps. So it's really exciting to, to learn about all that goes beyond data and access. If there's someone let's say who, who has an idea, open banking related, would you have some typical advice for them, for fintech entrepreneurs in that space? My typical advice would be go to plat.com, poke around at the, the case studies and use cases, and then you can just fill out a form to chat to someone live and they can talk you through what the right experience is. But uh, I think to your point, there are more tools today to enable you to build great new applications than there have ever been in history. So if you think about how hard it was to be an entrepreneur in the era before cloud computing, where you'd have to spin up your own servers to build something, AWS and Microsoft Azure and Google Cloud really changed that. I think you're seeing the same thing happen in financial services and fintech where all the pieces of building fintech apps, there's a company that's built that and exposing it through an API and you can start to pull those pieces together to build whatever you're trying to build. And so if you're a fintech entrepreneur, I think that's the best place to start is go look at 
what are all the tools available? talk to the people that help build those tools and they'll give you great advice on what the right user experience is, how to plug them all together, because it, it can be uh, a fun journey as well to figure out all the new ways that you can build new experiences using the existing tools that are in the market today. And you're, of course, I mean, you're referencing this famous talk about everything will be fintech. And to me, that brings me to link it as well to the additional service you provide. It seems to me that education is becoming so important because it's, it's very much about knowing what's out there. If everything will be fintech, then everybody should know a bit about fintech. And it doesn't have to be that complicated if you're not into fintech. Absolutely. I think education is key. And I think the other thing that comes with education is permission and making sure everything's clear about what people are doing. So this is a huge focus for Plaid as well, where the way we describe it is consumer permission financial data. And so we work really hard to make sure users understanding when they're going through a flow, what am I doing here? Because if you think about it, outside of your physical health, your financial health is probably your second or first most important thing about yourself as an individual or your family. And it's also very private. And so you need to understand what things are encrypted, who you're connecting data to. And so I think this is something where, again, working with an open banking provider, where that is their whole focus, and they've really built a UX around educating the user like Plaid has, is really important because you have to make sure that you're building the right trust with your user base. Wonderful. And to finish off, can we try to look a bit at the future and how does it look for payments and maybe also financial services in the near term? What can we expect in terms of continuing this and also other major developments? Yeah, it was a broad question, but I'd say a, a couple of trends that I think are going to play a massive part over the next one to five years. The first is going to be embedded finance. And what I mean by that is you're going to start seeing financial services in apps and services that you're already using, but you wouldn't think of as a bank. So examples of this is if you're a, a gig economy worker, so you're a, you know, a delivery driver for delivery or somebody else, you're getting income from that app. Why don't you have a bank account there and they help you track your expenses or file your taxes? I think you're going to start to see those type of experiences start to show up and the ability to manage your financial services happen in other applications where people already are. Again, it's meeting people where they are. The second thing I think you're going to start to see is the trend towards invisible payments. I firmly believe that the era of typing in your billing address and card numbers to buy something is going to go the way of the past. If you think about this, some apps have already started to change this. Think about Uber. You don't even think about the payment anymore. You get in the car, you walk out, and you get charged separately. That's almost an invisible payment. I think you're going to start to see that type of movement happen, and open banking is going to be a big part of this. Again, with just using Face ID to authenticate yourself and pay for something like you already do with, with Apple Pay, that's gonna become the norm very quickly. And ultimately, I think move to the idea of invisible payments and self-automated finances. And I think I'm really excited for the long-term benefits of that because I think it can help people live healthier financial lives and it just leads to a way smoother and better experience. It's gonna take time and it's gonna take the ecosystem working together to get there, but I firmly believe that's the direction that we're headed. That's a very exciting perspective. And thank you so much for sharing this and your other insights. As we come to a conclusion, I'd just like to ask a couple of lighthearted questions. The first one is, what would you do if you were to choose a different career path? Oh man, that is a great question. I was a big reader and amateur writer as a kid. 
And I think something I've always wanted to do is write my own fiction novel. And so if I was to choose a different career path, it might be going fully off, off, the, ra- off the range, so to speak, from fintech and trying to become my own fiction author. So I, I feel like that's what I'd say. I probably would, would fail miserably at that, but it would certainly be something I'd be interested in trying. I'll say the opposite. I think, first of all, it's not off the rail. You write a bit of science fiction, sci- sci-fi. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can see it's embedded right. in fiction, and I'm sure you'll be very good at it. But let's move on to the next one. Oh, I guess it's, it might be the same answer, but uh, talent or a passion that our, your average listener may not know about. Ooh, that's interesting. I think one of the reasons I've ended up working in fintech is I like to stay informed of and stay on top of the cutting edge of technology. Maybe that's that wouldn't surprise listeners, but a passion for me is following what I think is the next bleeding edge of where technology is going more broadly, not just in financial services. And I think one thing that has me really excited is it feels like we're on the verge of making it economically feasible to explore space and benefit from space more broadly with companies like SpaceX and Starlink and internet services provided by satellite and mining of asteroids, all, all that stuff. Again, we're going a bit into too far into the future into the science fiction, but I think that's something that has me really excited for a world where we can benefit from outside the bounds of just the earth itself. That's something that I would say I'm passionate about on the side that's again, very different from the FinTech world. Wow, and lots of news coming uh, on that uh, side as well. Suddenly that we thought were science fiction becoming real. It's all related. Uh, Keith, I just want to thank you so much. It's been really great chatting to you. Thank you for your insights. It's been great. Thank you, George. It's been great to be here and and glad to chat through people. I think open banking payments are excited. We're just getting started and I think it is the future. Um, Always excited to be here and, and be on the FinTech file. So thanks for having me. Thanks for listening and thank you to our guests who make this possible. Subscribe to never miss an episode. As this is a new broadcast, if you could give us a five-star review on iTunes and your favorite podcast player, that would be great. Let's work together to accelerate fintech towards the 2030s.